Hey, this is Pastor Spencer with Racine Bible Church. You're listening to a sermon from a Sunday morning. Good morning, church. Oh, you're glad to be here. I'm glad to be here too. I'm really excited that I get to uh, share God's word with you this morning. Before we get into it, I wanted to say that I have missed ABFs. Have you? Last couple of weeks we've been off and it's felt like, man, it's been way too long. So um, if you're relatively new to RBC, you may not know this, but right after this we have ABF time. ABF just stands for Adult Bible Fellowship. That's kind of one of the main things that our church does are these ABFs. ABFs are smaller groups of people and where we do some prayer and sharing and fellowship and Bible study together. And so if you've never done one before, I want to encourage you that today is the perfect day to jump into one. It's right after this. It's at uh, 1045. We get a little break time and then ABF classes, they meet in that room and that room and that room. Uh, and they start 1045. They go till noon. There's still plenty of time for you to get some lunch get a little nap, watch Justin Fields run all, all over the Packers' defense this afternoon. I'm not going to be keeping you too long. That's true. But, and uh, w- w- the great thing, too, about today in ABF is that we're starting our new Bible study. We're starting the book of Genesis. So Genesis chapter 1 today. So it's a great time to dive in and try one out. The worship service that we do here, this is so essential to church, but it's not enough and ABFs are a great way to get more right out of church. Um, well, to start today, uh, before we get into our Bible study, I want to do things a little bit different. Rather than me pray up here, what I'd like you to do is for you to huddle up with somebody next to you and have one of you pray. I want you to pray for our message time. I want you to pray that God would speak through me, that we would hear and believe and be amazed by Jesus. I mean, I'm not going to come around and scold you, but I guess you can do it alone if you want. But try to huddle up with two or three people near you. Just have one person pray. Ask God to, to work through our message time this morning. When you do that, that's the first thing. Pray with someone near you. Second thing, I want you to turn in your Bible to Revelation 19. It's all the way at the very back of the Bible, one of the last chapters, Revelation 19. Pray with someone near you. Turn to Revelation 19. I'll give you 90 seconds to do it. Ready, set, go. Maybe 10 more seconds as people finish up. While you're turning to Revelation 19 at the back of your Bible, let me start by saying this. The, the world is broken. The world is, is not the way that God initially designed it, like we'll see in, in an hour in ABF when we study Genesis chapter 1. God made the world good, and it's not good anymore because of sin. Everything in the world, including our hearts, are broken, and they don't work right. To use the theological world word, the world is cursed. Nothing works perfectly in this life, right? Our stuff breaks down. We get cell phones, they're good for a couple of years, then they break down. Our cars break down. The video game system that was so innovative and cool when we got it for Christmas a couple years later is at the back of the closet, right? Because it's old and outdated. Everything wears down, breaks down. You guys live in a house? 
right? Doesn't that break down? You got weeds growing all the time. Everything's breaking, leaking. Stuff is wearing out in this life. Creation is broken. Earthquakes, tornadoes, hurricanes, storms, all part of this broken world. Our health is broken. We get sick. Everything from colds and allergies to cancer, even death, are part of this broken world. People are broken, right? There are so many ways that that people hurt us, betray us, make fun of us. It's part of this broken world. Emotionally, we're broken. There's just so much despair, depression, just so much darkness. It just feels so oppressive sometimes, so overwhelming, so unstoppable. Our hearts are broken. My heart wants to do sin all the time as part of this this broken. We want sin from the the moment that we are born because people are, are now born without the most important thing. We're missing our most essential part when we are born. You know what that is? It's a relationship with Jesus, right? A car without an engine is broken. It's missing its most important part. But a human being without a relationship with Jesus is even worse. God did not design the world this way. God did not create people to live like this. And yet this is how every man and every woman has been living for thousands and thousands of years. And the great news is that in our story this morning, this isn't it. The great news is that one day, one day, all the bad stuff of this world, all the disease, all the sadness, all the sin, all the cruelty, all the unkind words, all the wickedness, all the death and evil that this world has almost always known, it will end and it will be over. The great news is one day Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. And at the end, I need Jesus. At the end, you need Jesus. At the end, we all need Jesus. And the story we're going to look at today is the last long look at Jesus in the Bible. And it tells us what's going to happen at the end of time. The world is going to be going along as normal with all the brokenness and sin and evil. And as we're going to see in verse 11, all of a sudden Jesus bursts out of the clouds and comes back. Take a look. Verse 11, look down. It's there. Then I saw heaven opened and behold, a white horse The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. Book of Revelation has a lot of symbols and pictures in it, right? Like if I were to tell you that I'm all ears, or if I have ants in my pants, right, you would know that that's just a symbol, right? You you would know I'm not literally, right, I have hundreds of ears on me. I don't literally, I don't think, have ants in my pants, right? So it's not... Right? What, would I, what would I be saying? I'm saying, hey, I'm listening intently, right? Or, or, or I, I can't sit still. It's a symbol. That's how the book of Revelation is written. It's telling us true things about Jesus, but it's using symbols. So look at the verse. The sky opens up and boom, what comes out of the sky? A horse. But it's not about the horse. It's about who is on the horse and who's on the horse. It's Jesus. It's a very different looking Jesus than the one that's born in the manger. It's a very different looking Jesus than the one who got whipped with the crown of thorns on his head. It's a very different looking Jesus than the one who died on the cross. That is what Jesus looked like when he came back to earth, when he came to earth the first time. This is what Jesus will be like when he comes back the next time, the second time. He will be coming back as the royal king, the champion of everything. And there are 
two names that Jesus is called in this verse. What are they? Faithful and true. This is the opposite of what my car in college was called, that Ford Taurus was unfaithful and untrue. Right? I didn't know what was going to break next. If it wasn't the starter, it was the alternator. If it wasn't the alternator, it was the transmission. If it wasn't transmission, it was the battery. It was on and on and on. I paid more in repairs for the car than I did for the car. It was so unreliable. But not Jesus. Right? He is faithful and true. You know the song, All Glory Be to Christ. You know that one? It's got the kind of New Year's song as, as the tune and takes its lyrics from this verse. The song says, When on that day the great I am the faithful and the true, the lamb who was for sinners slain is making all things new. I said, well, well, why is Jesus called that? Why why, why is he called faithful and true here? Well, he's faithful, meaning he's reliable. He's never going to let you down. He's always going to be there for you, right? Like the opposite of that, Taurus, Jesus is so reliable, so consistent, never fails you. Friends will let us down. Family has let us down. Jesus never will. He is so faithful and he is true. He is always right. He is never wrong. He never leads me astray. He's never too busy for me. He's never too tired to help. He never puts me on hold. He checks to see if something better is going to come along, right? He is always, always working for my good, right? Sometimes I, I want these things that I think are going to make me happy. And he, he's just so faithful and so true. He just pulls me back away from those things. I love that Jesus is faithful and true. Sometimes in my life I've been so scared. And Jesus has always been there for me, always true. Sometimes in my life I've been worried. Jesus has always been there for me. I don't, I don't mean to get all vulnerable on you. Right? I would love to be able to stand up here and, and be like, hey, I, I've just got, the, got it all together. You guys can just kind of follow me because my spiritual life is just banging on all cylinders. I'm just doing so good, right? Like I got no flaws in my spiritual life, but I can't. I cannot do that. I, uh, I get scared a lot. I wake up in the middle of the night a lot, and I'm anxious about a lot of things. I get anxious about money. I get anxious about my family. The thing I'm most anxious about are people, you know, students and youth group or who graduated from youth group, I just, I just wake up in the middle of the night a lot. And I, I'm just scared for them, scared where they're headed, where they're going. And, and man, when I, when I open up the Psalms at night, I just start reading, right? And sometimes it's like so hard, I can't even read. Like I just have to like listen to the Bible. It's just, it's, uh, every time, right? He is so faithful, so true. When I start reading the words, start praying, start reading the Psalms, I'm praying. He, he is so faithful, so true. He always meets me there. He always helps me every time. So many times in my life I've been hurting or sad or I did something wrong and he's always been there for me and he will always be there for you too because he's faithful and true. You can always count on Jesus. Now, first part of this verse, right, it's pretty normal, kind of Bible stuff. Second part of the verse, a little shocking, what does that say? It says that Jesus comes to, you see it, judge and to make war. You're like, huh, is this really, is this really Jesus? He's coming to make war? Well, yes, he is. Why is Jesus coming to make war? Because Jesus has enemies. You say, well, well who are Jesus' enemies? Satan, right? Yeah, yes, Satan. But also, who else? Answer is this, anyone who sins. You're like, wait a second here. Anybody who sins is an enemy of Jesus? Yes, that's true. Because for thousands of years, people have gotten away with a lot of bad things. Don't you have this sense of justice in you that you just hate it when people, right, get away with the bad things that they do or they take credit for your work and they don't get punished for it or people are cheating and they don't get 
caught or other people are stepping on other people, pushing other people down so that they can get ahead. Or you watch these videos of people looting, just taking things and getting away with it. Or other people just hoarding wealth, living in indulgence, just closing their heart to people in need. Don't you just feel like in our world, all the news from all over, all the time, it's just constantly stories of injustice and corruption and people getting away with wrong. And guess what? When Jesus comes back, he's going to pay everyone back for what they deserve. He's going to make everything right. Let's take a look at verse 12. It says, his eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. His eyes are fire, that means he sees all and that he knows all. Jesus is coming to repay everyone for what they have done because he sees everything and he knows everything. Right? You can't hide from him. You can't get away with anything. He knows everything you've ever thought and seen everything you've ever done. And that reality should either scare you or make you love him more. You say, well, what do you mean? Well, well if you know that God sees all, and you can't get away with, with anything. If you're God's child, you know that every little thing done against you, he's going to take care of. You don't have to get revenge on your enemies. right? You don't have to go all vigilante justice on everyone who wrongs you. You know that evil and sin and wickedness are not going to win. God's going to take care of it all. Right? And how great is it to have Jesus who loves you? He's going to take care of it all. I just love it when things are taken care of for me, normally at home, mealtimes are a bit chaotic. Um, we got four kids, right? You got to make the meal. I'm not doing that part, but, right, uh, someone's making that meal, right? And we got to get the kids to the table. You got to kind of sit them down, get all the drinks in the kids' cups, and you got to cut up all the food, right? You got to make sure they're not hitting each other. You got to try to eat the meal, right? And then after the meal, what do you got to do? You got to clean it all up, much of which is on the floor, Right? But last weekend, Lauren and I were at Fort Wilderness. We went to family camp with the Frymarks and the Westcombs. We had a great time. And one of the best parts of the whole weekend was getting to go in that dining hall and eat meals because they take care of everything for you. You just come in. You plop down right at the table. They bring the food out to you. You eat it. You leave your stuff right there. And you go off and you have fun, right? No cleaning, no fuss, no muss. It was great. <laughs> I love it when everything's taken care of for me. How great is it, right, to have a father in heaven who loves you, who's looking out for you, who's going to take care of everything for you, right? You don't have to look out for you. He's going to, right? But if you're, right, if you're, if you're not a child of his, then the reality of him seeing everything, knowing everything scares you. All those thoughts, all those words, all those judgments, all those motives, all the wrongs you've ever done, all the hypocrisy, you will one day stand before the judge. You can't bribe him, right? You can't pay him. You can't sweet talk him, right? Because he's too good for that. And on his head are what? What does it say? What's on his head? What does the verse say? Diadems. What's a diadem? A crown. Wow, a lot of you knew that. I just learned it a couple years ago. Saying it for many years. It's a crown. How many crowns does he have on his head? What does it say? Many crowns. You ever seen someone in the military? Right? How can you tell what rank they are? 
Right, you can tell kind of what they've accomplished, what jumps they've done, whatever, right, by what they have, all these medals that they're decorated with. And Jesus has many crowns because he's the king of kings, right? He's the champion of champions. When LeBron James went to go play for the Miami Heat, uh, uh, he left the Cleveland Cavaliers, signed with Miami Heat, signed with a bunch of other really good NBA players uh, in Miami, and they were so excited to have LeBron in Miami that the team, before they even played a game, threw a pep rally to celebrate the signing of LeBron. They were so confident that titles were within reach. So at this pep rally, the announcer of the rally gets up and he's like, LeBron, you're here to win championships. Not one, LeBron. Plural. LeBron interrupts him and says, not one. Not two. The crowd at the rally starts to get hyped. Not three. Not four, they're getting louder. Not five, not six, they're just screaming. They're so excited. LeBron says, we're going to win every title with me here. Well, LeBron did not deliver on that promise. Uh, But Jesus has, and he will deliver on it. He will win, and he will not lose one sheep from his hand. Not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, not you. Not me, none. He has won everything and lost at nothing. And look what the end of the verse says. It says that he's got a secret name. Do you see that he has a name? No one else knows about him. Right? The first thing we usually know about a person is their name. And there's even this name of Jesus we don't know, which just goes to show no matter how many Bible stories you know, no matter what Bible facts you've got, no matter what Awana badges you've earned, right? There is still so much to Jesus that we don't even know. We as broken, sinful people don't fully understand Jesus. This is why I hate it when people try to act all smart, like Jesus isn't really real, like they've got God kind of figured out. They say stupid stuff like, right, if, if God's all powerful, then could he create a, a rock so heavy that even he couldn't lift it, right? It's just, you ever hear people talk stupid like that? As if the God of the universe is some kind of entity that they can quickly understand and easily dismiss. And that's just bogus. There's so much about God that is just over our heads, right? And it's like, man, you don't even know the first thing about Jesus. You don't even know some of his names. So don't doubt his reality. He is real. And he is so much smarter, so much bigger, so much greater, so much more powerful than you. So don't act like a fool in front of him because he will judge you. You barely know the real Jesus. There's so much more to him. And he's coming. Take a look at 13. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. Uh, Verse 13 says that his clothing is this robe dipped in blood. Why is his clothing bloodied? Well, you ever see people who do uh, like real work? They do construction work, right? What they, what they, you can tell kind of what they do by what they wear. I was just up at, I came back from one of these mission trips this summer with the students, came back home, and uh, every time I leave the house, Lauren is always doing, a, my wife is always doing a, a project around the house. That's just what she's like, right? Four kids watching them, that's not enough. We got to repaint the whole house while Dan's gone. But um, so I, uh, I come back in, I come in, I like pull in, and then I see that Lauren's been painting. And I don't even, I haven't even seen any part of the house yet, but I know that, that she has painted. How do I know? Because of her clothes, right? Because she's got paint on her clothes, right? Her clothes reveal what she has been doing, that she has been doing work. And that's why Jesus' clothes are, are covered. 
He was doing work in war. And when you do work in war, you'll be covered in blood. We, we see pictures of Jesus with the lambs on the shoulders or maybe a picture of Jesus in some kind of wispy little candle light. You don't often see pictures of Jesus from this verse. Jesus doing work in war and there will not be one enemy of Jesus who escapes full punishment for their sin. And the name Jesus is called is what? What's, what's he called? What's the name? The word of God. This is why we are Bible people, right? Are you a Bible? Are you a Bible person, right? The Bible is our middle name, right? Literally at, at RBC, we're seeing Bible church. You know why? It's, uh, we, we don't love the Bible just because we're big readers here. This book, the Bible, shows us him. We read the book to know him. That the Bible bears witness about him. You ever seen someone really in love with Jesus? I mean, they just can't get enough of Jesus. You know what every single person like that has in common? They love the book because the book points to him, points to Jesus. So Jesus is in this war, but he's not fighting this war alone. Who's with him? 14. Take a look. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. The armies of heaven are with him. Who's in Jesus' army? Well, if you're saved part of this army. Every Christian, every angel is a part of this army of Jesus. Every Old Testament Christian, every New Testament Christian, every church age Christian, everybody who's going to be a, a Christian. After us, we all start as enemies of Jesus, fighting on the other side. But when you believe in Jesus, when you turn from sin, you turn to Jesus. When Jesus saves you, you join his family. And really, you join his side. And everyone in Jesus' army, it says, is arrayed in white. Why are we arrayed in white? It's like, Jesus, come on, man. Don't you understand a battle? You want to you be in camel or something if you're going to be fighting a war. Why, why you got everybody in white? Well, the, it's symbolic, right? Symbolic of what? Symbolic of purity, of being clean, meaning everyone on Jesus' side has had their sins forgiven, right? It, it feels so good. Some of these hot summer days, like what we had last weekend, right? When you're outside and you're just humid, you're sweating like crazy. It feels so good to, to take a shower, right? To get clean. It feels even better, right? Do you know this? feels even better after you've been living a life of sin to come to Jesus and have him wash away all your sin. You know what that's like? Do you know the joy of having that burden lifted? Do you know, you know what it's like to have that slate clean? To have all your guilt gone, all your sin paid for. Do you know what that joy is like? Spiritually, we are as white as snow. Now, before we jump into the next verse, it's going to talk about the weapons that Jesus is bringing to the battle. Don't look. No, no, don't look. Don't. You can't look yet. Right? It's going to talk about his weapons. Let's just get a little audience participation. I've been going for a little while here. Um, let's just kind of get some answers from the, the crowd here. Some powerful weapons that we have could be real, could be fictional. What are some powerful weapons that we have on earth? Let's start with this section over here. We need an answer over here. Powerful weapons we have on earth. What's something that would be good, useful in a war? What do we got? Armor of God? All right, good. Really spiritual answer. Yeah. Um, anything else? What else we got? Any, any kind of weapon, uh, um, something that would be helpful in a war? What? A gun. All right, that's good. That's good. All right, let's see. This section here. Can you top that? A gun. What else you got? What are you going to bring? Bring it to this war. Yeah, shout it out. What's that? Fighter jet. All right, we'll take that. That was good. Fighter jet. Might take out the gun. All right, what do we got here? Good weapon for a war, for a battle. What do you got here? A sword. All right, good. Good. That's good. A little old school. A sword, yeah. 
Uh, in this section, what do you got? We got gun, sword, fighter jet. What do you got? A tank and a nuke. There we go. This section's on. You got a little more time to think. All right. It's good. All right, well, let's see what Jesus is bringing to this. Uh, let's see what Jesus is bringing to this battle. What kind of weapons does Jesus have? 15. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. So what weapon is Jesus bringing to this battle? Oh, section said it here. A sword, right? But it's not a real sword coming out of his mouth, right? Again, symbolic. In the Bible, do you know what's called the sword? What's called the sword of the spirit? What is that, you know? Yeah, the word of God, the Bible, right? Jesus has something more powerful than a nuke, than a tank, than a gun, than an infinity gauntlet. He has his word. He does not need a weapon. Jesus can smoke his enemies by speaking. Jesus created his enemies with the word. We're going to see that on the first page of the Bible in just a little bit in ABF, right? Jesus didn't make this world in a science lab. How was the world created? He spoke, let there be light. Boom! Light everywhere. And if Jesus can create them with a word, he can destroy them with a word. And he's going to rule with a rod of iron, it says, a picture of uncompromised strength. You don't get to play games with this king. He is in total strength, total control. And he finishes this verse. Did you catch it with a pretty graphic image here? I don't know if you've ever seen people make wine the old school way. I've just seen it on TV and movies, right? What do they do? You put, if you're going to make wine, you put grapes in this. I'm telling you like I'm some kind of expert. Like I'm like explaining this. I've just seen it in a show. You, you, put, you take grapes, you put it in this big kind of tub thing, right? And then people walk around and they do what? They stomp the grapes with their feet, right? They smash, they crush the grapes, compress it with physical force to extract the juice from the grape. It's a picture of what Jesus is going to rightly and fairly and justly do to his enemies. And take a look what he's wearing in verse 16. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Right, verse 16, I don't know if this is a tattoo. I don't know if this is on his clothes, but he's got a name written on him. What is it? King of Kings, better than every king, the top king of all time, undisputed, best ever, and Lord of Lords, most authority, greatest in power, most dominant, indisputable, unconquerable, champion of champions. He will not be defeated. A lot of sports teams, after they win a title, after they win the championship, what they'll do is they'll put a little patch on their jersey the next year that says champs on it. You know why? To intimidate their opponent, right? Imagine going into a football game or a boxing match, and what does the other boxer have on their robe, right? Champion! Right? It reminds you, man, you don't stand a chance. Now imagine going to war, and the person you are fighting has what on their clothes? King of kings, lord of lords, Champion of champions, undefeated, never lost. Stop for a second. This is who you worship. This is who we were just worshiping a few minutes ago. This is who you were singing about. This is who you obey. This is who you owe your total allegiance to. 
It seems so watered down when we live in this world because people use his name as a curse word and he seems irrelevant or weak. But he is not. He is not some little shepherd man. He is not just some weak little guy. He is coming and he's ready to destroy his enemies. And he's not stopping with the glory, which he's got. He's not stopping with the army, which he's got. He's not stopping with the crowns, which he's got. He's not stopping with the blood robe, which he's got. He's not stopping with the tat, which he's got. He's also got a hype man to talk some trash to his enemies. Take a look at 17 and 18. Well, then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, come, gather for the great supper of God, eat the flesh of kings, and the flesh of captains, and the flesh of mighty men, and the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. The enemies of Jesus have gathered in these verses, ready to to fight Jesus, and Jesus has burst out of heaven, ready for the fight, and an angel comes and taunts the enemies of Jesus, right? You know what it means to to taunt, right? To talk a little trash, to mock, to make fun. Do you guys play some mental games when you get into a little competition, little board game, little canasta? I don't know what that is, right? You ever, like, try to talk a little trash to whoever you're playing against, right? This angel taunts the enemies of Jesus. A couple different ways you can go when you're taunting someone. Uh, you can go with level one, right? Just kind of go right at them, right? We're going to win. We're going to kick your butt. Well, that's fine. Not really strong enough, right? If, if you want to view them as just so beneath you, though, you, you can't address them directly. You have to hit them in a more personal way. You can go with a level two taunt, which is a taunt about their mama. <laughs> right? Your mama's so weak. Our army could take her out with a Nerf gun, right? Uh, You're critical not of them, but of their their family. But if you want to disrespect them to the greatest degree possible, you can do a level three taunt. And that is this, that your enemy is so unworthy, so pathetic in your eyes, not even worthy for the fight, that they aren't worth being addressed at all. And so you ignore your enemy, but you taunt them loud enough for them to hear. And the hype, the hype man, this angel, comes out and he looks out at the army that's coming up against Jesus. And the angel, right, this army's so weak. So what does, what does the angel do? Who does the angel actually taunt? You see it in the verse? Who's he taunt? Who's he taunt? Who's he talking to? The birds. You see that? He's like, this is all you got. This is what you're coming up against the great Jesus with? <laughs> can't even talk, talk to you, right? Hey, birds. Hey, birds, guess what? I, I see you flying up there. Hey, stick around for a little bit. Just a couple of minutes, right? You're going to be able to eat the bones of these enemies of Jesus, right? It's going to be Christmas. It's going to be Thanksgiving. It's going to be all the holidays rolled into one. You're going to have a feast for dinner tonight. Don't go anywhere. Jesus is taking them out. Pretty sick taunt, right? Verse 19, the enemies of Jesus have gathered on one side against Jesus and his army on the other. And uh, if this were a fighting movie, if this were like some kind of superhero movie, this would be the climax, right? If this were Avengers, Thanos, Batman, Joker, whatever your thing is, right? This would be the part of the movie where you'd be expecting a 45-minute kind of epic fight scene. But the Avengers are for comic books. Jesus is real. And in two verses, this thing's over. No drama. Because the climax is not the fight. He is the climax 
the king of kings. Jesus himself is the climax of the story. So what happens in the last couple verses? We aren't even going to read them. Jesus speaks and his enemies are thrown into hell. What can we learn from this story? Four quick things. Number one, Jesus is the champion. He is glorious. He is wonderful. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. He's going to rule for all eternity. He is overall right now and one day we will see it in full. This world is doing all it can to minimize his glory, to minimize his power and his beauty and his worth. And so we need to get into the book. We need to get into the Bible. We need to spend time renewing our minds in the truth that Jesus is the champion, that he is the center of the universe. Right? All of us have had moments right, with a little kid nearby where they start to get their fingers near an outlet, right? They don't understand the power of that with which they are dealing with. They are trifling with something they don't know the power of. They don't know the reality of. And this is us with Jesus. Even for us who know him, right? We trifle with him. We trivialize him. We put him on the back burner. We push him to the side. Our Bible time pales often, right, in comparison to our screen time. We treat him like a chore. We put in our time on Sunday if we don't have something else going on to get on with what we want instead of treating him like he is the God of the universe, the center of human history. And we need to spend time in the book having our mind renewed by the truth of Jesus. He is the king, he is the judge, and he's coming and he will have his way. Worship him. Second thing, time is short. We don't know how long we have on this earth. We don't know when Jesus will come back. Jesus could come back before we get home today. He is going to burst onto the scene unexpectedly. And if you don't know Jesus, if you don't know Jesus and today is your last day, then this next song that we're about to sing in a minute is going to be the last time you will ever get to ever worship Jesus. Time is short. We don't know, right? We had a couple people in, in church um, we were in a pretty serious car accident a week ago. It came out, nothing broken, but we just don't know. Time is short. Our lives matter. Our obedience matters. You want to be on the winning side. You can't play games with Jesus. You can't play games about living in sin. Number three, hell is real. The uh, bittersweet part of this story, right, is that Jesus is going to come back and get rid of all sin and evil. And you get why that's bittersweet, right? Sweet. Because those of us who are in Jesus, who love Jesus, who obey Jesus, man, we're so excited to be redeemed by him, to see him face to face. Bitter part is that those who reject Christ, who stay in their sin, who love this world, they're going to be cast into hell. So be bold in worshiping Jesus. He's the risen champion. Be bold in obedience. It's not optional. Jesus is coming back to judge. And be bold in evangelism, telling people about Jesus before it's too late so they can avoid hell and be with Christ. When you have a big bill that's due to be paid, the deadline is coming, right? It just kind of consumes your thought life. How much more should your eternal bill coming due consume your thought life? So I beg you, if you have resisted Jesus until today, get right with him. Beg him to save you, to change you. Number four, what can we learn? Jesus will fix you. This world is broken. We started with that. We know that we're broken. We feel it all the time, right? Do you feel this? Right, my stuff breaks down. Physically, I just feel like I'm breaking down. I just get tired. You get weary. You get sick. Mentally, you're breaking down. Do you just feel discouraged, anxious? I just get so frustrated at just, just fighting sin and so spiritually messed up. Right, I just lose my temper all the time with my kids. It's just, 
so slow to pray, just so cold to Jesus. Do you just, just feel this brokenness? You feel the effects of the curse in your life? I just want to remind you, right, nothing in this world works right. Everything's broken. But Jesus came to fix it, right? He came to fix me. He came to fix you. So, so when you feel the effects of the curse, when you see your sin, when you see your failures, when you see your weaknesses, when, you, when, you, when stuff is not going the way you would like it on this earth, right, do not get frustrated. Jesus has come to fix it. Go to him. Bring that to him, right, and know that he will fix you now and he will fix you fully forever. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word today. We know that there is an endless song that's waiting to be sung with the voice of every nation and tribe and tongue. And we long to see Jesus and worship him face to face. Our brokenness, our sin, all these weaknesses, God, make us long for that day. I pray for the folks in this room who do not yet know you, who have not yet had their sins forgiven. God, save them, break through by the power of your Holy Spirit today in their heart. Save them. For those of us who do know you, God, help us to love you, to worship you, to fear you, to obey you. You are the king of kings. And our lives often don't reflect that. Father, renew us in this truth today. Because it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. To find out more about our ministry, contact us at racinebible.org. Thank you for listening.